0: This morning, we're continuing in our study of Acts, but as you probably remember, we've come to a section of Acts in chapters 22 to 28 that comprise about a two-year period or so. And the issue that has been... Recorded for us is the result of the riot in Jerusalem that was caused by the opposition to the gospel. As folks said, Paul is preaching that all that we know in Judaism is to be thrown out. And he even took a Gentile into the temple. And everything goes up. So you remember the activities and all that happened. And so the result of that is that Paul has said, I want to go to Caesar. <laughs> now, isn't it interesting that he trusts Caesar more than his own people? But that's another issue. So in 22 to the end of the chapters, and, uh, at chapter 28, what we have is that record of Paul going through various trials or defenses of his apostolic ministry as he travels toward Rome. And so what we're doing is kind of overviewing this and using these chapters as an opportunity to be more of a case study about Paul. And so for the last two Sundays, Keith was sharing about Paul's conversion as a case study all of us to understand. This morning, although this is something that came into my mind, I really was not desirous of doing it, because quite frankly, I, I believe that Keith has a better anointing in these, some of these areas, maybe all of these areas than I do, but I, I felt that the Lord wanted me to talk about Paul as a case study. In sufferings. I know we've talked about this somewhat before, but for some reason, and I think it's pretty obvious, the Holy Spirit wants to begin to heighten our awareness of and preparation for the storms of opposition, that if you look at the horizon on this world, and if you look at it through spiritual eyes, you will see the dark clouds of opposition gathering together. And so we don't want to be ignorant of this, nor do we want to be unprepared or foolish in it. And so I believe that there are just a couple of Major issues that the Holy Spirit wants to bear down this morning in our lives as we will certainly, as God's people, be impacted by this spiritual Katrina that is coming our way. How many of you listened to the news in the last several days? And you heard that the city of Houston is attempting to require pastors, and I think there's 17 in this subpoena, to be giving over their notes of sermons and speeches or whatever else to the city for their evaluation. So let me read it: The city of Houston has issued subpoenas demanding a group of pastors I think they're 17 turn over any sermons dealing with homosexuality, gender identity, or Anise Parker, the city's first openly lesbian mayor. And those ministers who failed to comply could be held in contempt of court. So if you are of the disposition that nothing radical is happening out there, and if you are of that disposition, I don't know whether you've been living in the last several years. But if anything, the church is witnessing the coming together Of the opposition, and that we are the target for this. And you might say, well, why? Because the church of Jesus Christ has been given by God the truth of the gospel that salvation is in trusting Christ for our sins. This is just a beginning salvo. Now the probability is, and I don't know the law here, there are attorneys in this audience who would know what happens in these cases. But I would expect that this is going to be overturned, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, separation, church and state, and so on. And you might think, well, wow, we've dodged the bullet. Well, this is just the first of many bullets. Actually, it's not the first, but it's the most blatant, at least. And so in this, and it was, to me, a real appropriate thing that the Lord made me aware of this this week. I often am not aware of a lot of stuff that's going on out there. To use as just one example, but a very close example, of what the church is in for. In the coming years. You remember the words of Jesus. They meaning the opposition to the gospel. In Mark thirteen nine, They will deliver you over to councils. Here's a city council. And you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake. But what is his purpose in this? In order to bear witness before them. And so here it is. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, and by telling Timothy, he tells everyone who is in Christ, every born-again believer, in 2 Timothy 2.12, He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, how do you like that promise? You know, typically we don't share the gospel with someone to receive Christ and to talk about forgiveness and eternal life and to say, and by the way, when you are born again, you are going to get it in the worst way that you've ever had it before. Now, perhaps that's not necessary to be sharing, at least in the initial presentation of the gospel. But... What is absolutely necessary is that every believer, once we're saved, know that there is a great and strong and malevolent and unceasing opposition to us because we're in Christ. We need to know that we are going to be opposed and attacked and suffer persecution until we leave this earth or Jesus returns. We need to know this. I doubt that any of us here would want any of our loved ones to go into Iraq or Afghanistan or any other place like that. Having never been warned and instructed about living in that environment, we would say whoever's in charge is crazy for not warning, and for not instructing. So I believe this morning the Holy Spirit wants to give us a little warning and a little instruction because this, friends in Christ, is on our doorstep. This is not just theology. It's not just something that's going to happen one day. It's on our doorstep. Father, Would you cause your word this morning to pierce our hearts? Father, to cause us to adhere and do what the Apostle Peter says, be sober-minded. For your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Father, we can hear His roars. Minister to us this morning, Father, so that we may prove to be those who witness of the overcoming victory of Jesus Christ in the way we live, in the way we respond, in the way we relate. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, I think, is the most important thing for us to hear. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, did we get that? That's the Word of God. 16.33 of John, in this world you will have tribulation. Many more places we could go to. But here is what the Holy Spirit wants us to know today, that in the midst of any and all of it, God has an agenda, a purpose for using our sufferings, for our good, and for His glory. Now, I don't like this any more than anyone else. I am not interested in suffering. I mean, when Jean left the house at 9.30 yesterday morning to go on the ladies' retreat, I got worried, what am I going to eat for dinner? <laughs> and you see, Peter Basil won't let me come back to New Orleans Hamburger uptown because I've already been there Thursday night. <laughs> what am I going to eat? By the way, guys, we can see that your wives on here the way you look and you're dressed and you're haggard. <laughs> You know it would be good, seriously. And I know maybe the women will listen to this part of the CD, but we need to be thanking our wives and letting them know how much we miss them and appreciate them. God has a plan in this. God is using our sufferings to bring to fruition, to completion, the victory of Christ at the cross When Jesus in his death and resurrection defeated sin, hell, death, and Satan. Jesus has won the battle. Now what is going on is that God is using our experiences to manifest, promote, and complete what Jesus did on the cross. That's what's going on very much in our sufferings. You see, God is now displaying the victory of His Son in various ways in our lives. And one of which, and a primary way, is using Satan's malevolent attacks against us for the promotion. And the vindication of the gospel. You remember in John 3, 8, I love this verse. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. First John 3, 8. The second part of the verse says, And the Son of God has appeared for this purpose. That he might destroy the works of the devil. And so you remember how Jesus destroyed the works of the devil by himself taking up his cross and for our sakes paying the full, final, and forever price of our redemption. What does Jesus then tell his disciples in Matthew 14? He tells us now you take up your cross. All his disciples take up your cross and follow me. And if you know anything else about the Word of God, you know this. The cross is not a decoration that you hang around your neck, although you may. The cross is not jewelry. The cross was an implement of punishment and pain and death. That's what the cross is all about. So when Jesus says, hey, I want you to take up your cross and I want you to follow me, what he's saying to every believer, and this is a requirement of the Son of God. This is not something that if you would like to do this, but this is what is part and parcel of your life in Christ. Take up your cross. Be aware of, be ready to embrace, And benefit from all of the results, all of the results of being my disciple. One of which is suffering. We just have to get this settled in our hearts and our minds. This is what God has done in saving us. Therefore, all true believers in Christ will do what? Suffer persecutions. This morning, I think the Lord wants to encourage us and strengthen us for these gathering storms of opposition by causing us to understand what he's doing in our sufferings. And we're going to look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul as Paul took up his cross and follow Jesus as a minister of the gospel. And so I won't be emphasizing one particular passage, but just talking in general. Again, using the opportunity of these chapters from 22 to 28, although we should really start at 12 and go all the way through to the end of Acts, to show us the example of the Apostle Paul. The first thing we learn and the first thing Paul learned about being saved was this. Remember what the Lord spoke to Ananias in 9.15 of Acts. But the Lord said to Ananias. Now, Ananias was a devout man living in, uh, in, in Damascus. And Paul was, remember, on the road... He'd seen the light, heard the voice of Jesus, and was brought into the city. And so he's in the city. And Lord says to Ananias, Go, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Hey, sounds great. I'm going to be a minister of the gospel. I am saved I am going to begin to enjoy the saved life in Jesus Christ. I am a blessed man, and I am going to begin to help, to to be blessing others through the gospel. This is going to be great. And then he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Say what? What you mean? Suffer. Now, Paul's suffering was specific in some ways and general. In other ways. We won't differentiate. But you see, this message that Jesus gave to Ananias for the Apostle Paul is the same message for all of us. I have chosen you. I've called you. I've saved you to be my messenger, to be my witness to everyone around you. And part of that witness is going to be through persecutions and sufferings. Therefore, you see, we should not view that our sufferings are random or without purpose. But we need to see them as part of God's loving and purposeful, redemptive plan for our lives. Now, how many of you, that bothers you? That bothers you? I understand, you see, I understand God allows suffering. Right? God allows suffering. But, but that's not what Jesus said. Tell Paul I'm going to allow him to suffer a little bit. But things are going to happen. But I'm going to, I'm going to kind of use them for my purpose. I allow suffering. Because you see, when we say that, that takes God off the hook of being kind of unkind. You know what I mean? But Jesus didn't say that, did he? What did he say? I'm going to show him how much he What? What word? Must Must suffer for my name's sake. So let's get it clear right in the beginning. When you receive the package of your salvation wrapped up in the wrappings of the gospel, when you receive Christ, when you were born again, when you became a new creature in Christ, when you were forgiven and transferred from Satan's kingdom into the kingdom of God's dear son. When that happened, and you opened the box, began to look at what was inside the gospel box and began to understand what God was doing and what he's given you and what his purpose is, part and parcel of that gift was this area of sufferings. Oh, my word. Kind of shoved that to the side. And so we have to really get into our minds that God is not only using these, but God is orchestrating events in our lives so that we will suffer particularly and purposefully for his will. Do you like that? This is not a random thing that I'm just going to get in trouble in some kind of way. God's going to catch up and kind of make it nice. This is part of the work of God. It's part of the gospel. God's purpose is to use our persecutions, the things that come against us in our lives, in the same way he used it in Paul's life. So Paul gets saved. Hey, he's excited. He's out preaching. Hey, now you heard this word about suffering, but, you know, maybe later on. Look at what Acts twenty four 23 says. I think it's just a few verses later. And when many days had passed, a, few, a little time later, the Jews plotted to kill Paul. God doesn't even give him a whole lot of good times before things begin to happen. But their plot became known to Saul, Paul. Remember, his name was changed. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. May I say this, that Satan is watching the gates of our hearts day and night for the purpose of destroying the effectiveness of the gospel in and through us. He is watching day and night, standing at the gate of our hearts, of our minds, taking any and every opportunity, no matter how small, minuscule it might be, in order to diminish or make ineffective or destroy the gospel in my life and in your life. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. See, this is just the beginning of many years of suffering for Paul as a minister of the gospel. But he learned two significant truths in all of these sufferings. And what did he learn? Here are the two major truths that we'll share that Paul learned. And these two truths, hopefully, we will begin to get a better grasp on this morning. Sufferings. Persecutions, trials, difficulties, attacks, opposition, misunderstandings. What is God doing? First, He is orchestrating them in Paul for the purpose of further maturing and causing Paul to be more effective in the gospel. And secondly, he's using them for the benefit of the church. Now, those are the two main issues that is going on in every believer when we experience these kinds of issues. I and you in Christ are the blessed recipients of God orchestrating and using the enemy as his tool and the issues of the world and the culture and our flesh, moving in all of that to mature us, causing the gospel to be made more effective in us and for the purpose of serving the needs of the church. So first, God was using Paul's sufferings to bless him, to mature Paul. Paul's sufferings were part of God's plan for Paul's trust and dependence upon the Lord. Because, you see, in sufferings, Paul learns something about himself and his need for God. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant or unaware, brothers. You see, he's so wanting the church to benefit from what he is, is experiencing. He so wants the church to benefit from what he is experiencing. I don't want you to be ignorant, unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself. We thought we were going to die. We thought they were going to kill us. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but, oh, don't you love those godly buts? But you see, here is the reason. Here's the purpose for it. And when you don't know what is going on and why it's going on and what you're going to do, read this verse over and over to yourself. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. You see, I am a man who will normally and naturally and continually rely on my super abundant natural, physical, and intellectual abilities. And in doing so, I will flop as a believer in Jesus Christ. Nobody had better intellectual abilities and training than the Apostle Paul. I don't think anybody in here, I mean, Paul writes, for instance, Romans, how many chapters is it? How many chapters in Romans, anybody remember that? How many? Somebody said 16, how many? Who'll give me 15, who'll give me 16? Anybody give me 16 chapters? Anybody give me 16 chapters in Romans? At any rate. Oh, are we a word-centered church, huh? What was I saying? And so he writes this. Here's a man who, if anybody doesn't need to be that dependent on the Holy Spirit, this guy's got it all, right, intellectually. And today, I don't know, Bill, you might know, how many volumes are written on, uh, on Romans? Hundreds. Wouldn't you think? How many do you have? I mean, I have four or five sets of Romans. Never read them, but I mean, I have them. It, 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 it looks good on the shelf anyway, so when you come in the office, hey, this guy knows some stuff. No, I just have books on the shelf. So here we're writing today all this stuff and trying to explain what Paul's talking about, and half of it seemingly can't be agreed to sometimes. <laughs> He needed dependent, to be dependent more on the Lord and he learned it through sufferings. His offerings were also made, given to him, given to him as God's gift, given to him as God's gift, given to him as God's gift. Paul would not have matured apart from, matured to the way he did apart from this, and we would not today be experiencing the work of the gospel in our lives as a result of God using this man Paul had he not matured, and he matured as God gave him the gift of suffering. But not only matured, but listen to how he became more effective. Turn to 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 10. You remember the thorn in the flesh? The thorn in the flesh, the great revelations of God, the revelation of the church, which you see in Ephesians, this great mystery of God, which he opens and discloses in Ephesians and Colossians, the church and and, and the, uh, the, the Christ of the church in those two letters. And Paul's given a thorn in the flesh, suffering to make him more effective. And when he finds out this is from God, as a gift of God for his effectiveness. Listen to what he says in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians verse 10. For the sake of Christ. You see? Why was he given it? For the sake of the gospel. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I'm weak. Then I'm strong. Now, how many of us can look at the difficulties in our lives, the sufferings, and your sufferings may be relational, it may be financial, they may be because of your personal sin, they may be because of the sin of others, they may be the opposition to the world, as we talked about this Houston thing, and how many of you can say, Bring it on, Lord, thank you for it, Jesus, I'm thrilled about this, oh, thank you, God for counting me a worthy vessel and making me more effective. Don't we all experience that and say that about what's happening in our lives? Can you say amen? Amen. Exactly. I mean, I don't know how many, but I can't say half, but a large number of people coming to my office trying to get, how can I get out of this thing? And we begin to say, well, I can tell you how to, you know, what to do. Embrace it. I wondered why my counseling load has fallen off so much. (laughs) I thought it because I just had bad breath, which I do. But embrace it, Paul. Embrace it. When the world kicks you, hmm, embrace it. As a result, maturity and effectiveness. Paul could look in the face of his sufferings. what are you going through today what kind of suffering are you experiencing now i am not going to differentiate because it's your sin or someone else's because sin produces sufferings and i can learn in fact I have learned more about the grace and goodness and mercy of God through the suffering due to sin than I ever have and due to obedience. How would I ever have known God is merciful and forgiving unless I have been as mean and nasty as a snake? And that as a result of that, Jesus did not smash my head into the ground as we want to do with those with whom we have difficulty. But very carefully picked me up, reminded me of his forgiveness and I'm his child, and began to stroke me, if you would, or minister to me, whatever terms you like, with his forgiving and healing hands. So it doesn't really matter, I think, the reason for the suffering. What's primary is our response to it. You see, too often we try to major in the reason. And we' that's a... Look, look. If you're trying to major in the reason and trying to figure it out and who would, you are falling for Satan's deception. Did you hear that? If you're trying to figure out the reason and the source and all of that, you're falling for Satan's deception. The first thing is call upon the name of the Lord and ask him, what are you teaching me? What do I need to learn? What's going on with your hand of mercy in my life, receive God's work. Then if he leads you to be discovering other issues, source and whatever, that's a secondary issue. The primary issue is God. And I think this should speak to many of us in here this morning because I meet with people regularly who are more agitated and energized by trying to point a finger and find a reason and all of that than they are ever with Father, accomplish your work in me through this. Accomplish your work. And he may tell you the answers to the others and he may not. But you know what? That's his business. You see, as a result of this, maturity and effectiveness, just these two verses Among many. Listen to what Paul could write. Because he had learned that in his sufferings, God was at work maturing him and making him more effective. For we know. May I repeat that? You see, because you missed the two important words. We, Paul and the church. And the second crucial word is know. Knowledge by understanding and experience. For we know that God works how much? All things, including what? Sufferings. For our good. For those who love Him. And who were the called according to his purpose. We know this. We know this. But Paul not only knew this about himself, but he also knew that God was using his sufferings for the good of the church. Listen to this particular passage from 2 Corinthians 1 3 through 6 and I know that I have passages this morning that are not in your notes but when I was redoing these the other day I felt the Lord just changed a few things so um, I don't apologize that's just what happened so if we write say a a verse of scripture it's not in your notes you just write it down and and look it up later 2 Corinthians 1 3 through 6 Paul is writing the Corinthian church for the third time or fourth time and what has happened is that there are people in the church that have come in. They're called superlative apostles. These are the big guns, the the well don't you like to, the well dressed, the, the the wonderfully able orators of the church, the intellectuals. They've come in because you see, Paul, remember, is a beaten up, broken down old Jew. Why do I say that? Because he's been beaten and broken and left but dead and whipped. This guy physically is in trouble. His eyeballs are bad. He has bad, gross eyes. Look at relations at the end of it. And he apparently doesn't speak well. No telling how he speaks. I don't know. He's not an orator. And so they're saying, look at this. What kind of a guy is this? How could he be a man of God and all of these things are happening to him? Are you kidding? God wants us to prosper. God doesn't ever want us to suffer. God wants us to be a blessing to the world to show that in this world how well we're doing, we can show how great he is. You see? And Paul says that's not what's going on. So he immediately has to begin to identify the false teaching. And the whole letter, 2 Corinthians, is about the defense of his apostolic ministry. Why? Because he's concerned about the welfare of the church. So this is how it begins. Oh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercies and the God of all comforts. Oh, thank you, Lord, you're comforting, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Why does he put that in there? Why does he comfort us in our afflictions? The word comfort is that word from parakaleo, which has to do with the presence and the ministry of the comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's just not a word, oh, you know, you're pretty good. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit with us and in us, in our sufferings, don't you see? It's God never abandoning us to these things, But giving himself to us in a more personal and dynamic way in these things. Just read Philippians 3, 10, 11, and 12 and you'll get a pretty good view of that. But we won't talk about that today. The God of all comfort and mercies who comforts us in our affliction. Why? Why? Why does God use our afflictions this way? so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. For if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, It is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. What kind of a gospel is this? This is scandalous. This is absolutely preposterous. You know why? Because it's the truth. What sufferings is he talking about in Second Corinthians? Well, by the time he writes this letter, his apostolic credentials, as I said, and in his integrity were being called into question. He was suffering. He has been left for dead in Lystra. He's been beaten and jailed in Philippi. He ran was run out of town in Thessalonica. Remember the Acts travel? You, you can hear Acts in this. He was ridiculed in Athens. The reason for the riot in Ephesus is because of Paul. And he is the object of death threats. And then he is shipwrecked at Malta. And then he's in chains. When, we, when he writes these letters of Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon which are some of the most beautiful letters of all. You know where Paul is? He's chained up in jail. And yet this man in this affliction says, Lord, use these chains of mine so that I may be able to be used to unchain the church. Use these chains of affliction in my life in some way to break the chains that are binding your people. Use my chains of suffering, of being misunderstood, of being ridiculed, of being hated and rejected, of whatever, to break the chains of sin and compromise and disobedience in your people, Paul suffered a lot, but you know what? Through it all, what was his reaction? Listen to what he says in Colossians 124 he says, "I will rejoice in my." sufferings for your sake, for your sake, for your sake. Paul knew that the sufferings that he was experiencing were not just for personal maturity and effectiveness in ministering the gospel, but what thrilled his heart was God was using them to minister the gospel and its effect and power in the church. You see, Paul had been transformed by the saving power of another man who suffered for his sake. Paul knew, I'm saved because I am the rich recipient of the suffering of another man who suffered for my sake. Listen to these words in Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, Christ, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, point of death, even the death on the cross. What was Paul's response? As a result, Paul, and I don't know whether these are in the notes, actively embraced sufferings do you have that in your notes huh you need to see that I actively dodge sufferings if we had an altar call this morning and said how many of you want to embrace your sufferings and ask God for more I don't know how many people we'd have here but you know what it should be filled with every person in Christ It should be filled with every person. You see, if we say, come down to be relieved of this problem and that problem. Let's pray, pray for your finances and your health. We would fill the place, wouldn't we? But what we're missing here in all of these issues of our lives, we're too primarily and initially preoccupied with getting the hurt or the problem or the pressure away from us. And we're not getting God's benefit from this. And so sometimes we need to say, Lord, I am suffering here, here, here. But you know what, Lord, before I ask for healing, before I ask for financial this, before I ask for whatever in the job, I first ask that your will be accomplished in my sufferings. And it could be, it just could be that we would see more Quote miracles, but the real miracle isn't the healing of an eyeball. The real miracle is the healing of an attitude that says, "Lord, I embrace what is going on in me." That's the greater he- uh, uh, miracle than someone's is able to walk. That's the miracle. That's the miracle we need to see in our lives and need to embrace and pursue in our lives. Oh God. I certainly want my back to be healed, my eyes to be healed, my finances to be healed, my my children to be whatever. I understand all that. I want that. But first and primarily, Lord, I want you to use these sufferings for your sake and for my benefit and blessing and for the good of the church. Then I'll worry about the other stuff. You know, maybe we should have as altar calls, Phil, when someone comes down for healing... Have you embraced this yet as good? (laughs) Well, I mean, what do you mean? (laughs) Maybe the greater ministry is first the reason you're coming down. Well, I want to be healed. (laughs) But is it a physical or spiritual healing that we need more? Therefore, Paul actively embraces sufferings for the sake of the church. Listen to what he says in Philippians 2.17. For even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Oh, Lord, what a ministry that you're pouring my essence of life out. See, this is why Paul could say in Romans one sixteen, i I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it's the power of God, and it's a salvation for everyone who believes. See, Paul was willing to be hurt in order to help. Paul was willing to be hurt in order to help. I remember another man who was willing to be hurt. And afflicted for the good of his people. Listen to this. And he was despised and he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom we hid our faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his stripes or wounds, we are healed. What was his attitude, this man's attitude? this man of sorrows, but this man of joy. Philip, Hebrews twelve two. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the authority of God. Why? Because you see, he knew that his sufferings were for the good of God's family, which gave God the Father great joy. Listen to what Paul tells us Philippians 4 9. And I've seen this and I've squirmed about it, and as a minister, as a pastor, I actually, not that I don't like what Paul said, I actually don't like it because I'd like to be able to say this with more conviction about myself, but here it is. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, I am being used, but I am an example of what also you should be. Think of this. Jesus' great delight was in being put to death for the good of others. Which brought God the glory. Amen? Is that a good summation of the gospel? His great delight was being put to death for the good of the church, I know in my own life, I have seen many who have come into the office or wherever, however it is, and so much suffering because of sin. And I have been, what word do I want here? Scandalously surprised that first God would use me at all. That I should be here this morning is not right. And that I should be used at all in any way. For the benefit of the church, in my mind, I wouldn't have used Peter Davidson. I would not have done it. See, because I know me and my background, I would not have done it. And you would not have me. And I believe you'd be right. But God doesn't work like we do, isn't He peculiar? I have shared my background on a couple of occasions. We'll do so under the direction of Frank Laurie at Beta. I'll do that again. And I asked Frank regularly, Frank, is, you, oh, is he here today? I asked him regularly, why should I do this? And he said, it blesses too many people. I said, well, you know, okay. I'll do it for that reason. But... And so I have history a background of being raised in an abusive house. Being abandoned by my mother. My daddy was a drunk. She was a drunk. Of physical problems and abuse. And I don't go much beyond that when I share and I won't go much beyond it today. Although there exists in my background, dark issues, dark activities, which I wish were not there. And for years, it bothered me. Why have you allowed me to go through this? why did you not deliver me from this this and these issues and this why anybody ask god that why and when i came on staff in july of 90 i began to understand Because I began to meet with others. Many have, quote, normal problems, okay? And that's wonderful. But I also began to meet with others who had, if you would, really difficult problems and pasts. And without going into any particular details with a lot of these folks, although I've come close on a couple of times, sharing with them something about my life, being led by the Holy Spirit, having no script, here's what you have to do when these when you go in this meeting, and began to watch. This is God's work. This is not Peter Davidson. I can't do anything for anybody around here except get you upset with me or whatever. I can't do anything for you. Tony, I can't help you. John, I can't help you. Watching God use those experiences in my life as a scaffold to begin to peel away and cut through and bring freedom and release to others. And it began to dawn on me. Oh, my word. God is using my hurt to help. And today, I can look back there and I can remember and I can recount. But no longer with sadness and grief and questions. But saying that in those issues and continuing with other issues today. God is molding and making hopefully something of me. And hopefully for the benefit of the church. As he uses these for your benefit. So I have learned, if you don't mind my speaking about myself too much, but I just felt this was the Lord's way. I did not want to do this. I didn't have it in my notes, and there it is. I have learned, and Jean and I have together learned, and willing to be hurt in order to help. Are we ready for sufferings and persecutions and trials? The storms are coming. Embrace them actively with joy for your personal maturity, your personal effectiveness in the gospel, for the sake of the blessing and instruction and encouragement and strengthening of the church. Because who is the great beneficiary of all this? So remember in Philippians 2, eight, Jesus was beating unto death. What does Nan say? Wherefore also God has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every Tongue shall confess in things in the heavens, things on earth, and things under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That I missed something, I did it wrong, and every knee shall bow. I, I, you know, if I do it, start wrong, I'll never get it, but you understand. All to the glory of God the Father. Thank you.